Hello and welcome to season two of Man Down, the anti-Man Up movement. My name is Jamie Clements and I'm going to be speaking to more incredible individuals from all backgrounds, all walks of life about their own journeys through mental health and what we can actually do better to look after ourselves. The goal of Man Down is to show that vulnerability is rooted in courage, rooted in strength and not in weakness and we're here to open up these conversations to reduce the stigma around talking about mental health and showing everyone that it is okay to talk about this stuff. This is Man Down. The episode is going to kick off in a second guys, we're just going to take a quick minute to hear from our sponsors and our partners. When was the last time your phone buzzed with a not very necessary notification? When was the last time you picked your phone up just to check a message and somehow ended up on an Instagram scrollathon? Look, you might not realize it, but you're probably addicted to your phone. And now with all of our meetings moving online, we're stuck in front of a screen all day. We're trapped in this endless vortex of Zoom calls, TikTok videos, and apps like Slack that require us to be always available, always on. And it's making it really difficult to switch off. Now this is where Unplugged comes in. The guys at Unplugged have created a space for busy city workers like you to take some true time offline with a three-day digital detox at their beautiful off-grid cabins just one hour from London. So if you're someone that's always on and the idea of actually locking your phone away for three days either terrifies you or feels like something you need right now, then you're probably in need of some true time offline with Unplugged. So if this sounds like something for you, head to www.unplugged.rest and use the code MANDOWN when you book and you get a beautiful food hamper for your stay. So all you need to do is turn up and switch off. I am incredibly proud to say that Man Down is brought to you in partnership with Better, a charity raising awareness around mental health and suicide prevention through a range of exciting events and initiatives. Please head over to www.better.org.uk, that's B-E-D-E-R, or find them on Instagram at better underscore UK. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Man Down. Thank you for being here with us again. Really excited for today's conversation and excited to share the wisdom of my guest with you. Today, I'm joined by Nectarias Leolos, Leo Leolios, who I just asked how to pronounce his surname and still managed to get it wrong. Um, but I'm really excited to have Nectarius here with me. Um, he is the co-founder of The Future Farm and the host of a brilliant uh, podcast called The Naked Podcast. Over the last 10 years, Nectarius has worked closely with hundreds of entrepreneurs and early stage businesses. He co-founded startup bootcamp FinTech to address the relationship between corporate startups and investors in London, New York, Singapore, Mumbai, Mexico City, Dubai, Amsterdam, and Melbourne, to name but a few of the most amazing cities around the world. Uh, he also co-founded Rainmaking Innovation, the global cooperative of entrepreneurs and led Swift's InnoTribe Startup Challenge, the first global fintech startup competition facilitating interaction between startups and financial institutions. He's driven by entrepreneurship, as you can probably tell from that intro, collaboration, and the desire to improve the lives of people driving change in this world. He's also a global nomad, travel geek, and a sneakerhead. So quite the introduction, and I think we're going to dive into a lot of those, those angles. And actually, before we, before we start, for those of you that, that don't know 
kind of my background in this in this world. Um, I started my career in fintech about six years ago, and I'm currently back working in fintech alongside Man Down. So this for me is going to be a, a fascinating conversation looking at mental health in the world of, of startups, entrepreneurship, and some of the pitfalls we can fall into when it comes to this stuff. So really excited to share this conversation with you. But first of all, Nectarios, thank you for being here and sorry for messing up your surname. How are you? <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Um, with a name like mine, you're kind of used to it. So I'm much, much more relaxed. If it's if it's deliberate, it's very different. Um, I'm, I'm well, I'm well. It's a Monday. Um, which is always an interesting day, but I'm, I'm in a good place. I'm looking outside the window. It's 5 p.m. and it's dark. Mm. But you learn to deal with this. Yeah, I was just I, I was saying to you before we came on air, I had my head down for a couple of hours and then looked up ready for this and it was pitch black. And I think this year especially, I've been affected by the darkness more than I ever have. And I think for whatever reason that might be, I've actually just purchased a... Um, SAD, a seasonal affective disorder lamp for my desk to get some some life back into me in the mornings, especially. But um, how I guess I'd, I'd like to check in with people before we sort of dive into the, the bulk of this. How have the last seven, eight months been for you both personally and, and professionally? What's what's the experience been like for you? Oh, OK. Very different experiences. Um, professionally, it's been great because I was working on a couple of things after having taken a break. I've been, well, we launched the Future Farm in the middle of everything. Profession has been great. Personally, it's been a very different journey because I stopped working nearly two years ago. And last year, so 2019, I spent just trying to figure out what I wanted to do, had lots of conversations. And 2020 was the year where I was going to be kind of coming out and just doing all these amazing things. And then lockdown or COVID took away a lot of the stuff that I like, stuff that meant a lot to me. Like I live in London for a reason. I, I love the culture. I love the scene of just going out, eating out and all that. Um, and, and the travel. Uh, and overnight, the three main things that I enjoy about London disappeared. And then in the middle of all of it, in mid towards the end of May, my mom passed away. My mom lives in Greece and she was 80, but she was, and she was also, she was ill for a long time, but not being able to travel to the funeral, not being able to go and, and just go through the rituals of, of losing somebody um, was really hard. So there was this period of multi-layered loss, which was really difficult to grasp. Mm. Uh, so it took me a while to actually just find some sort of balance which was weird because in parallel work was fun and rewarding and new people. And, um, but I think that kind of kept me also a little bit sane because otherwise it would have been even worse. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I'm obviously very, very sorry to hear about your mom. And I think especially in the, in this period, it's been, I was just actually reading an article um, that someone I know wrote for the Metro about someone that they lost at the start of lockdown and how it just made it so much harder to process it because you weren't able to go through the normal rituals, whatever, whatever it might be, the normal process of, of grieving. Um, it's yeah, I mean, it's been a hard period for everybody, but I can't, I can't imagine that that helped the case in, in any way. We, we can probably have the whole conversation about yeah. grief because I, I left my job in 2018. That was my life. Like I, I lived and breathed, started bootcamp and rainmaking and 
Um, and then my dad passed away the day after my leaving do. Um, but a year before that, I lost a lot of my collections because I like to collect stuff in a fire. So uh, there's this, and I, I didn't realize this, but I was talking to my therapist and she just pointed out that since the end of 2017, I've just been going through this permanent, constant kind of experience of losing things and giving up things and leaving things behind. And I was sort of settling into a bit of normality when, when COVID hit, right? So it's just prolonged that. And you realize, no, there's another dimension. There's another layer to grieving. Um, it's easy to talk about it now, but in the kind of the weak moments and the dark moments, it doesn't feel particularly funny. Right? Yeah. yeah. And then I think it's uh, Brené Brown who does has done an amazing episode on grief in the context of what's happening right now, which which really helped me to understand what was even going on. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm a, I think a lot of people will know I'm a big fan of, of her work around vulnerability and, and around mm. grief. I think she's just a, a bit of a genius on this stuff and um, would highly recommend that, that episode to people for sure. But, you know, I, I gave your, uh, your full formal introduction there. And I think uh, there's obviously so many so many things you've achieved, so many things you've done, so many experiences you've had. But looking now at, at the work that you're doing with, with the Future Farm, could you tell people a little bit more about what it is and, and what you guys are doing? I can. Um, I think also when you were listing all of this, the only thing I was hearing is it's just old. <laughs> it's just somebody who's been <laughs> around <laughs> longer than, than other people. Therefore, the list gets longer. Um, the Future Farm is a result of having worked for about 10 years really closely with early stage founders in particular, entrepreneurs who just started building a business, maybe zero entrepreneurs, but usually still at the earlier stages of the business because it was accelerators and competitions and the like. And I co-founded it with two people who com both come from um, a similar kind of ecosystem, but a different position in the ecosystem. So um, venture capital and um, kind of human rights and impact but it all came together because we all had this particular passion to look at what people who build a business are experiencing that is not the business challenges because in startup bootcamp i've seen things that i was not prepared for um meeting people who are very young who are not prepared at all emotionally for the journey attracted by the kind of the shiny lights of the silicon valley kind of um image that was portrayed about this is all going to be fun you work hard you party hard you make lots of money and even though people know deep down inside that most startups fail they just kind of assume that it's not going to be them uh and you see you see it all you see anxiety you see depression you use to people when they open up if they open up um they talk about suicidal thoughts they talk about really anything you can associate with emotional mental health challenges it happens but the biggest problem for me was that i saw people struggling but not being comfortable or courageous enough to talk about this and i see i've seen them compensate with it i see people taking the whole range of drugs you can imagine uppers to keep you awake downers to make you go help you go to sleep uh, and people hadn't slept for days and 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 people crashing and burning and having complete, complete breakdowns. So it was really driven by that. It's like operating in an industry and fueling it to some extent, being part of the problem, 
by um, by running these accelerator programs and everything around it, and and seeing that nobody nobody literally assumes any responsibility for this and does something about it. Mm -hmm. So the Future Farm, we built it because we wanted to help people understand it as a problem. So educate, raise awareness, um, but also understand a little bit deeper what is it specifically about entrepreneurs that accentuates certain things or makes certain things different as an experience from the man on the street in inverted commas. Um, originally, we actually wanted to be part of the solution. We wanted to be fixing things. And then we realized that actually there's a lot of people out there who already do stuff. There's workshops, retreats, there's coaches, etc. So we are moving much more towards figuring out what can you do to prevent it? How can you actually build something that moves towards a healthier approach to entrepreneurship and tries to take away some of that glamour and tries to kind of be, be a bit of an advocate and an activist and also points fingers and say, guys, you all play a role in this. Let's, let's just take a check and make sure that we help people get into this without all these naive assumptions, without all the kind of the pitfalls that are there or educate and prepare people for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think from from what you said, is it because I think for, for people listening who might not be familiar with sort of that ecosystem, is it about holding the different parties within that accountable for for the their the role that they play in in an entrepreneur's sort of I suppose life cycle? Um a little bit, or as in, this is an element, it's part of it. I think ultimately, it's also just telling people and educating people that if you start a business and you've never done this before, there's a bunch of things that may happen to you that are likely to happen to you. Like co-founder conflict is a big one, right? Right. It's dating and very much like dating and marriages that end in divorce, co-founders fall out, but that tension with the person you typically or the people you typically build the business with is bound to cause a lot of conflict and people are not equipped to deal with conflict, especially not something that is as existential as the person you started the business with. Uh, the second one that we hear a lot is loneliness, right? People getting into this thinking, oh, I'm going to be surrounded by loads of people, but reality is that you feel very lonely, you feel very isolated, the burden of responsibility, the pressures of, I don't know, when you get external funding, the pressures that you get from investors. So that adds to... to a ridiculous amount of stress that also translates into feeling completely isolated. You can't talk about it anyway. And there's, I mean, you can start building these lists. So preparing people for these things, being candid about all the things that could happen, and in parallel, working with the people who are partly helping to create these stresses, like venture capitalists, in particular mm -hmm. venture VC funds, right? Um, a lot of entrepreneurs who have received VC funding will talk to us about how the real pressure started the moment they got the external money yeah, and how their life then changed completely because from that moment on, it was no longer about the romanticized view of building a business and changing the world. It was about managing their expectations, meeting the KPIs and having a very different dimension of pressure. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, having been in startups, my entire career um i can definitely vouch for for that i think one one place in particular where we raised a new round of, of funding the largest round i think it was the series a or series b 
and um, instantly it shifted the the way in which the business felt the environment the atmosphere shifted completely and all of the pressure went from investors onto the ceo onto the heads of department onto the head of team onto the guys all the way through it didn't just stop it's not something and i think this is why it becomes so difficult for the new entrepreneurs especially in a small team because there's nowhere for that pressure to go it stops with them so i think there's that element of feeling like it, it is all on you and that's where things like loneliness alongside stress just make for a horrible cocktail of you know mental health problems i think there's just it's it's not a a nice place to to, to be in so in terms of i suppose you've mentioned some of the stuff that you saw within within entrepreneurship and within the ecosystem that that led you to to starting the future farm but through through your own career and through your own life experiences was this something you experienced as well like in terms of your own mental health journey is this something that that you experienced within your own working life um jesus it's it's like five different thoughts in my head that i'm trying to sequence now otherwise it's gonna it's not gonna make sense in my own career i actually didn't i was lucky enough to just i mean probably yes to some extent but not in in a grander capacity. I think I had a lot of, uh, I was aware of my emotional and mental health, mainly through my personal life. I grew up with a mother who, when I was 12, so she was 40, she was diagnosed with depression and that depression really stayed as part of our family life for 40 years. So we learned varying degrees of success to, to navigate around my mom's mental health. Um, and I just kind of learned through that to also have an element of introspection, figuring out what's happening in my own life and try to manage that, but not always successfully, of course. Right. So I had all my kind of, I made the same mistakes that everybody else does. I was just lucky to, at some point I discovered therapy and I find this was really helpful for me because I'm quite extrovert in the sense that I process a lot of my thoughts in conversation. So having a neutral party who would just practically just hold the mirror and said, says this is what i'm hearing says what you said i was like oh my god i can't believe this is happening it was ironic because it took a well, first time i saw a therapist was to talk about the breakup of a, of a long relationship 17 years and it took three sessions until we talked exclusively about my mother and i was laughing and and the therapist was laughing and said seriously are we living the cliche and she goes like no no it's it's just that's part of our lives and we need to process that stuff and everything else is symptomatic. Um, so yeah, going back to your question, um, not professionally, but I had this radar when I started what I was doing that I could, I think, empathize and just spot what was happening. But also I went into this with that mindset of maybe there is something we can do already. And because of my therapy kind of, experiences personally I brought in in my very first program that I ran myself in 2014 we had um, a mediator that came in before the program started and talked to the startups in the cohort and told them about conflict and then he would do office hours like once a month so people could go and and use them as a counselor interestingly enough it was difficult to sell this concept to other people who were doing similar jobs in my organization uh, because they saw this as a cost why would we pay for for that when we can spend the money on real coaches, you know, like business coaches or growth yeah. hackers? And you go, 
So some of the battles there were not very pleasant. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it's it's so interesting. I think thinking about mental health within the realm of business and something that just came to mind, and it's it's a big question, but for me, it feels like um, what we're seeing within both mental health in the workplace and also mental health for entre new entrepreneurs and, and startups seems to be, I think, seems to be a, a, a symptom in its own right of the bigger growth mindset, this capitalist economic picture. Um, and the question that I have, and it's a very big question, I think I, I'd, I'd love to see where we go with this is, do you think <laughs> good mental health can be compatible with our current model of entrepreneurship and startup culture? Well, we believe that it's not. Uh, that's that's part of the reason the Future Farm exists. Yeah. Um, th there are so many different facets to this. One of them, which is kind of very pertinent to, to, to man down, is that the majority of founders we deal with are male. So that in itself comes with a whole raft of, with a lot of baggage, right? The whole things you discuss in your podcast about the inability or the unwillingness of people to talk about their emotions to start with, right? Is of course, it's much higher within men than within women, right? So that, that's that. So I did fintech, right? So we're talking about financial industry. And again, if you look across industries, somebody who comes from the financial sector is again, much more unlikely to open up than somebody who might be working in a different industry, right? So um, in, in my world, this was all compounded. It was financial services, insurance, consulting. These are all people who, especially maybe also a moment to establish that when we talk about entrepreneurs in my world, they were not the 20 year olds. The majority of them were people who had already a career in financial services and decided then to do a business. So they were already brainwashed to a certain way of corporate thinking. And part of our job was to reprogram, to think a bit more like a startup, to learn new techniques. And, but there were already established walls that <laughs> needed to be broken down to even get through. So, all this compounds to, to this feeling of it's really hard to get through to, to people and talk about mental health. But going back to, to your question uh, or to, to the bigger picture, there is also something about, maybe the easiest way to illustrate this is by talking a little bit about the research that we did. So we spoke to more than a hundred people in the broader ecosystem. So entrepreneurs, investors, mentors, people who all operate in the same space. And that was really interesting to see what the venture capital kind of communities thinks about this. And the responses ranged from, uh, there is no problem, just not acknowledging that there was a problem or that it mattered to, yeah, it, is a problem, but you know what? In order to be successful, you need to be somewhat flawed. Uh, to yeah, there is a problem, but we're not going to do anything about it. It's not our role, right? So, so there is there is this whole kind of range of people who all may get to the point where they say we recognize that there is something, but even then, not being prepared or not seeing this as as their kind of responsibility to, to be part of the solution, which means that the model at the moment doesn't give people room for stepping back and saying, hey, I'm struggling, or recognizing that if somebody is better, 
or has better tools to deal with their emotional health that actually would benefit the business. To some extent, there is this yeah, glorification of the Steve Jobses of this world who are a bit weird or the Elon Musk of this world who are a little bit ruthless, but it's all because they are these true entrepreneurs. And I'm saying this with all the inverted commas in the in you can you can master. Um, and I find this extremely frustrating. Yeah, I think there's definitely been a, a kind of pedestaling of those types. And, you know, from a purely business perspective, I can see why, because they have been extremely successful in a GDP growth monetary sense. I'd love to ask them how happy they were, but, you know, there's, I think there's this, um, yeah, this pedestaling of, of these people and they are very, very unique in their um, personality, it seems. And I think for someone, as you said, a 20 year old, extremely intelligent but ultimately not infallible emotionally 20 year old trying to live in that vein it's no surprise that they get themselves into into you know issues because they're working 20 hours a day um living off you know whether it's drugs or prescription drugs or caffeine or whatever it might be to get them through and never taking time to let alone to, to sleep enough, but also to take care of themselves, exercise, whatever else it might be. And they're running at a thousand miles an hour. And, mm. you know, the crash is only, you know, if it's not months, weeks, years away. Um, so yeah, I can definitely see. And just as we've been talking, it feels to me like there's so many parallels and exacerbations of, um, things that I've already talked about with other people in different circumstances when it comes to mental health and masculinity, like this idea of not being willing to ask for help. So when you're, you've raised, you've raised capital, you've raised funds for your startup, things aren't going as well as they should be again in inverted commas. Um, and then just being unwilling to ask for help and feeling like you have to fix the problem on your own. And also, um, just no concept of, of vulnerability. Like you have to have, mm. you know, we talk about men having to have all the answers, having to know how to fix everything, having to know how to do everything. And that is, I think, you know, I'm however many years, six, seven years into my career now, and it's taken me a decent amount of time to realize that I definitely don't have all the answers. And if you're actually going to get anywhere, there's a lot of value to be taken from, saying that you don't know the answer um so yeah is that something that you see obviously we've talked about there being high percentage male founders but also you know within startups and within fintech especially you're looking at even higher percentages of male founders so is that something you see pretty regularly um yes and what you just described is this kind of asking for help thing. This is also something I've experienced professionally, let alone emotionally. Just the fact that you feel like you need to prove something, right? And therefore you just close yourself up and, and then it goes, fits up and you deal with the consequences. Um, so permission, giving yourself permission, giving yourself permission to ask for help, giving yourself permission to admit that things aren't perfect. I th there's, so there's a couple of different strands of thought. The one is, first, we're also trying to extend a little bit the definition of entrepreneurship, yeah. because we're also looking at people who don't follow the traditional startup path or don't go, like we're talking about tech companies in, in most cases now, right? But there are all the other people who build businesses who are experiencing very similar things. Um, on, the, on the things you mentioned, the one thing that 
I found eye-opening is also talking to people who left that world, either because they exited the business or because they decided this isn't for me and how much happier they were afterwards, like going back into the corporate world. Or um, there was one founder who had a, a, a three-figure million US dollar exit, something like 180 million US dollar. Serial entrepreneur, this was his second business, third business, but the second one that he exited successfully. And he was talking about how after he sold the business and he was free from all the commitments, he fell into this two-year hole because he had no infrastructure to allow him to manage and process what was happening to him. So it's not just the inverted commas failed ones. It's also the successful ones who still don't have the language to describe what's happening to them and still don't think it's okay to say, you know what, I'm filthy rich now, but I'm struggling. Yeah, because then they're not allowed to say that because of course, why would you? Because you have all the money in the world, right? So the spectrum is so broad. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I always think of, um, I wanna say it was one of the original, I'm not sure if he was a founder, but one of the original employees at Monzo. Um, and I think he's now, I don't know if he's done it yet or is still planning to um, move to the Northwest and open an alpaca farm. And I think, you know, that that for me is obviously quite a big switch, but it seems as though that is is kind of, from my perspective, if I were ever to be in that position to take a lot of money out of a startup, that would definitely be something that, maybe not an alpaca farm, but it would be something that would be appealing to go from and just have that stability and do something that is is almost the polar opposite in terms of intensity. But I think what I've certainly experienced, and I, I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on is, again, looking at the successful startup entrepreneurs with that broader definition of entrepreneur, there's almost a bit of a, um, I don't know what term it like, a success trap where you achieve and then you need to achieve more and then you need to achieve more. And it's sort of this never-ending loop of having to do more and having to do better and almost self-comparison is that something you see a lot as well um you know what even with people who fail they still don't necessarily see that maybe this is a sign to take a step back and and do a bit of reflection mm. it's like let's get back on the saddle because you need to prove that you can achieve something that's um Absolutely. Absolutely. Then the other thing, because you used the word intensity earlier, one of the things that I was surprised by is there was one particular founder, I think it was in 2015, really lovely chap, had even an element of awareness that I need to do something to balance the working hard. So he would go away for the weekends and he would do the most extreme sports you can imagine. But in his mind, it was like, I'm exercising, I'm doing sports. And you go, no, what you're doing is you're filling the the adrenaline void and all the other hormones that are raging in your body during the week with a different activity that generates the same hormones. So there's also this startup life is extreme, but the distractions from the startup lives are also very extreme. So there's no quiet time. There's no time for real kind of insight and breathing uh, in, yeah. in the figurative sense, but also in the practical sense, right? Um, so definitely and and it's it's sad it, it's really kind of when you get, get to know people and like people and you try to get through and you kind of it's so transparent to see how people are holding on to the barriers that they've built and it feels like sometimes you're there with this big hammer trying just to get through that wall 
and trying to use all sorts of techniques with empathy and with pointing people to, to examples or very discreetly kind of introducing a book or a, a podcast or something. And sometimes you get through and sometimes you don't. And sometimes you have that conversation and two years later they come back and say, you know what, I think I now understand what you were trying to tell me two years ago. But there's also the people who are absolutely refusing to, to allow that vulnerability because of whatever goes on in their life, right? Yeah. And there's, there's kind of two questions in my mind. If we're starting, uh, <laughs> I think we could discuss the issues for another hour in its own right. But if we're, if we're trying to think a little bit more, and obviously with the work that you're doing with the Future Farm, this is something that I'm sure is, is close to your, your heart and your, your mind is sort of how can we move forward and, and what can we do differently? And I, I think one of the key questions for me having you know dabbled in entrepreneurship in a broad sense um is there space for i suppose people who don't aspire to be like elon musk either professionally or personally is there space for emotionally intelligent uh empathetic um well-rounded I think that's maybe slightly unfair on, on some entrepreneurs, but sort of um, a, a different breed, a different mold of entrepreneur. Is there space for people like that to be successful? Um, I think the space has, uh, the, the space exists. We just need to create, we just need to, to be more vocal about this, but also we need to kind of increase that space. Mm -hmm. At the moment, and this is where I feel like I was part of the problem, I, I kind of joined a community that would only accept people into the programs, for instance, or would only recognize entrepreneurs truly when they would dedicate themselves 100% completely to the business. Because that was what I've learned over the years was the only way to succeed. Um, and it's interesting because also, again, this fuels a particular type of male behavior because we had a lot more women entrepreneurs who came to us and they weren't because they had a family and that other things. And we would ultimately not necessarily accept them, not because of that alone, but there was something about our definition of commitment didn't match their definition of commitment. Um, there are increasingly funds who look at investments through a slightly different lens where they are either they have longer term uh, horizons or they have their expectations in return on not the predictable 10x in seven years or whatever. Um, so there is that and under the umbrella of pa patient capital or one thing I've learned last week from a really interesting fund who invests into mental health companies called Masawa out of Germany. They call it nurturing capital where they want to work with the founders. They want to understand the particular challenges and actually help them grow at the pace that is healthy for them. So there are, there are some roots, some really interesting new seedlings. But even in the existing world, there is space to just grow, but it requires a recognition that there is a problem yeah. and the preparedness of the people who are part of this to actually contribute to that. And, and maybe it's about kind of going to the market everybody with a code and getting people to agree on a code or just be more visible people are a lot more comfortable to to put a diversity lens into their portfolio right yeah. um but they don't put a diversity in in terms of mental health uh filter right mm. uh, 
it's like people have to fit a certain mold to be the successful ones yeah i think it's um it's great to hear that there are people moving in that direction i think that's you know it's it's the beginning of of some really good stuff and i i'm not saying we'll ever shift in that direction entirely because i think there will always be people who are determined to be the next steve jobs or whoever it might be um and good luck to them um but it's yeah i think there is definitely i think when you when you think as as an individual about trying to start a business there's definitely a, a great deal of propaganda in a way out there that says unless you are this type a dominant personality then it's it's a waste of time and that i think you know if we're speaking across genders is definitely hard to take because you might have a great idea and then just feel like oh you know i'm not i'm not that type whatever that type is and so i think it's really promising to hear about the likes of masawa and and sort of that more patient nurturing capital. So um, yeah, it's definitely, it, I, I, it's not something I was aware of. It was something I was hopeful about, but it wasn't something I was aware of. <laughs> I, I like your term propaganda. Um, th there is also, there are so many playbooks and none of the playbooks talks about the emotional side of it. Mm. They all talk about the practicalities of setting up a business and certain kind of criteria you need to fulfill. And that in itself also excludes people who might not necessarily fit, they, they, they feel they fit them all. Um, so for us, it's also quite important to change the playbook and make it more, make, just make it feel more accessible to people. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes you meet somebody who is not the alpha type. Uh, and it's so frustrating to look back at your own behaviors and go, I underestimated that person because I had these criteria in my head and I would have rejected them, mm. but they're their own way to be, to persevere and to make it work whilst kind of respecting their own constraints. And some of the constraints are around your personal life, your emotional well-being, and all that. Mm -hmm. So th there is something there where if I could turn back the time, I would probably give a lot more people a chance. Yeah. And part of it is just being a convert and realizing that. I don't want to be part of the problem anymore. There has to be another way. So, and I'm quite keen to help find that other way and get people, join people, not get people to join on the journey, being the pipe piper of the other way, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, uh, I'm glad to see it moving in that direction. I'm glad to see yourself at the, at the front of it as well, playing, playing your pipes. So, <laughs> 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 I, in, in terms of, um to bring it back around to yourself and, and your own mental health from a a day-to-day -day perspective and sort of just in terms of self-care and looking after yourself what what helps you like what are some practical things i think we've all had to assess um over this weird covid period like actually what works for us and try different things but what what have been some things that have, have helped you with your own mental health it's this is this is a funny one. Uh, no, no, it's not funny. Funny. It's just I, I get these questions sometimes around what are your rituals, and I freeze because I don't mm -hmm. have rituals. I feel like sometimes I feel like I should have, and then there's I've got friends who started journaling and people who do meditation regularly and they really believe in it and they talk about all these different yoga practices with all the elaborate terminology that exists around that and I'm quite ignorant. 
and and not dismissive. It's just that sometimes I tried things, and they didn't work. Um, for me, probably the biggest thing is, I think when something I, when I can feel something is coming up, I just allow it to come through. So if I feel sad, then I don't try to bury it. And for me, it was a big breakthrough to be able to actually express that I feel sad. Sadness was a word that didn't exist in my vocabulary until about five years ago, right? Um, I am very conversational. So for me, therapy was amazing. And I approached this at the beginning with a very practical perspective. I've got a problem, I'm gonna go, I will have six sessions and after that it will be fixed. And it again took me a while to accept that no therapy, actually, I don't have to have a subject to talk about or a particular point that I want to clarify with my therapist. It's just in the calendar every week and we talk and the most amazing insights and the most kind of important breakthrough moments come when there wasn't an agenda and the conversation flows freely into a very uncharted territory and suddenly you land in, why did I stay in this unhealthy relationship that I didn't even think about for the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. As a therapy for me is important. And I think it's also the, the recognition that none of this, it's, none of this is linear. Uh, so it took a lot of work for me to figure out that you have a conversation and you feel you have a breakthrough and then a month later something happens and you revert back to your old behaviors and not giving myself a hard time for this because I was always so efficient. <laughs> okay, I don't know how much time. I'll, so we, I once had a conversation with my therapist and this was after having worked together for six, six months. And I thought it was going so well. I had all these insights and I was, I was changing some of my behaviors and I felt the benefit of it. And she sat me down one day and said, look, Taris, I think we've come to a point where I can actually give you some other feedback. And I feel like, you're very good at progressing stuff that you allow to kind of, for me to get there. But I feel there's a barrier and there's stuff behind that. And that barrier is really solid. But I think today it feels a little bit like I can tap on that extra door and see if we can go in there. Mm. And I walked away from that session. And the only thing I've heard was her telling me, Nectaris, you're not very good at the therapy thing, are you? Right. So I had to really go back and we talked about this, right? But for me, the talking is important. Um, I'm not much of a reader, not anymore, partly because of time, partly because I really struggle to focus. And that's probably a result of smartphones and devices and, and shorter attention spans. But I'm very good at listening to podcasts. So I, I get a lot of inspiration just by hearing other people's conversations and hearing how they process things. And that's why I found your podcast so interesting especially because as a gay man in his mid fifties, I have a slightly different experience from some of the very kind of blokey guys you have on your, your show, but also finding out the, the, the similarities we have and the things mm. we experience in the same way. Or um, So for me, hearing other people's stories and referencing my life is really helpful. And that's definitely something that I've been doing a lot over the last probably couple of years. And I find that very helpful. Yeah, I think um, I, I'm certainly the same. I think it, it's, it comes back to, and, and I, I use it a lot when I talk about this podcast to people, um, 
which is far too often. I need to stop preaching about it. But <laughs> it's about this idea that it's something you, you said right at the start was about holding up the mirror and whether it's in therapy and having that mirror held up to you by a therapist, whether it's a podcast and hearing, having that mirror held up to you by someone that you're listening to. You might listen to a podcast for an hour and, and take away three minutes worth of conversation that felt relatable and resonated with you. Um, but that is enough in a lot of cases. And that's when you feel like something's been valuable because you feel like something has landed, something has stuck and you see part of yourself that you might not have seen before in mm. this other person or in this conversation. So I think, yeah, it's, uh, it's important. And I think, um, and, and thank you for listening to the podcast as well. I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, one, I was actually going to ask you for a, a book recommendation, but I now realize that's probably not the best next question. So is there a podcast um, that you have listened to recently or not that recently that has been particularly impactful for you? Um, there's a book that I enjoy reading uh, every once in a while, and I go back to it, called The Discovery of Heaven, which is a novel. It's not a book on the subject. But the guy in there does something very clever, which is he really, he tricks you into following a, a trail thought and then he flips a perspective. And then you see that the whole thing was actually done through the other side's perspective. It's really difficult to explain, but it's an amazing mm -hmm. novel. And for me, this has been really helpful in sort of kind of encouraging and increasing my empathy because I think empathy is really important in the world that we operate in when it comes to understanding people's emotional journey. Um, in terms of podcasts, I do like Brené Brown. I do like Esther Perel. Um, and I'll, I started by listening to Esther Perel's uh, podcast about relationships. And then she did one called Housework, which is all about taking her learnings from the couples counseling world and translating it into kind of co-founder relationships or business partner relationships, which was absolutely fascinating. It's about a year old. She hasn't done recently one. So I love Esther Perel. Um, I discovered Reboot, uh, which is the US-based one, which is specifically around entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. um, and that was quite an eye-opener because they've had, by that point, I don't know, more than 100 episodes in, in, uh, in the can. And uh, I listened to the very first one, the very latest one, one in the middle, just to get a flavor of what this is about. And and all three were conversations with people who started a business because they didn't want to leave this world without leaving a mark, which gives an insight on some of the things that make entrepreneurs tick. Mm. Uh, uh, so that's, that's another one that I like. Uh, of course, there's the unbelievably interesting Naked by the Future Farm. Uh, <laughs> it's not shameless at all. Um, but you know what, as a, yeah, as a gay person, there's a comedian, called Susie Ruffalo, there's a really interesting one about uh, LGBT stories, which talks a lot about mental health. And one thing that we should also be very kind of, I think, mindful of is you, you, you're not a detached kind of profile. You're kind of a mix of different things. So when I go through my own ups and downs and struggles, I do this as a, I don't know, as, a, as, a, as an immigrant in this country or as an LGBT person or as a, as a son uh, or as a partner and all these different facets that we have. So for me, they're all anything that touches upon one of the facets in my life as a failed break dancer. I, I never got to be the break dancer that I wanted in the Bronx in the late seventies. So 
there's still time there is it, it really isn't <laughs> and um i was actually I'm, I'm glad you you brought up the shameless plug for for the naked podcast um what could you give people a little flavor into into what it's all about it's it's practically what we're doing here we're taking we're, we're talking to people in an intimate safe environment about the journey people who've been through building a business and are happy to talk about their emotional, psychological, and mental struggles that they've experienced. Um, and we're trying to be very diverse in terms of the selection of the people. So gender diversity, ethnicity, type of business, age, because we want to show to everybody that there's much more common to their journeys, that there, there are differences. Mm. Um, the one thing that we've learned, and this might be um, quite, quite interesting, is that it takes usually about 20 minutes to half an hour into the conversation to get people to stop talking about the business challenges. Even when we go, okay, tell us about this, how, you, how did you feel about that? Mm. But people are still, especially when they're in the business, they're still so keen to talk about, ah, and then the funding round fell through. And, and at some point you notice it and at some point it changes. And that's where you get to see the real challenges from I was thinking, wouldn't it be better for everybody if I wouldn't wake up in the morning because then my kids would get the, the, the life insurance to, there was uh, an entrepreneur from the media world who for, for a while was officially public enemy number one in the Netherlands because they took away the football rights and took them to a private channel. Mm. Um, so there's, there's unbelievable stories. And we want people, a little bit what you said, is people hearing the stories and maybe there's, one or two things that they walk away with going, or maybe this is what I'm going through. Maybe I should talk to somebody about this, or maybe I should read something, or maybe I should start looking after myself. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, um, you know, as for the conversation we've just had here, I think people can see the, the need for these types of conversations and the need for the work that you guys are doing at the Future Farm, because it's just, it's another you know, mental health, it does not discriminate. <laughs> There's no realm in where this does not exist. And I think it's so important to be doing this work and having these conversations. Um, and, and last but not least, um, before we go, where, where can people find out more about yourself and also more about The Future Farm? Oh, um, thefuturefarm.co. Um, that's our web presence, uh, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. It's a version of the future farm. Perfect. Well, Nectarius, thank you so much for, for being here and for, for sharing your, your experiences and for, for sharing your story as well. Really appreciate it and um, love the work that you do. So I look forward to following it. Thank you very much, Jamie. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. So that is it for today's episode of Man Down. Thank you so much for tuning in as always. Tune in every Sunday for the next episode of Man Down with our next inspirational guest. If you want to get in touch or if there's anyone that you think should be on the podcast, you can reach out directly on Instagram at jamie.clements underscore or by email on jamie at mandownpod.co.uk.